the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Our co-host this week is Christopher O'Brien. And you know, years ago, Muhammad Ali, during his prime, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, he did report seeing a UFO on more than one occasion. Yeah. In fact, I even talked to him about it. Anyway, he used to use the phrase in dealing with his opponent, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. But it seems that our friendly co-host, our genial co-host, Christopher O'Brien, was bitten by something a little bit more intense than a bee. What happened to you? Uh, actually, I was stung. One of the things that you got to kind of be careful of when you live here in this big sunshine state of Arizona is scorpions. And unfortunately, I happen to live in a scorpion zone here. Uh, last year during the summer, I collected about a dozen of these little yellow uh, kind of pale uh, bark scorpions, which have the highest concentration of nasty nerve toxin in nature. And, and uh, I was just pulling my covers up over with my pillows and this darn thing stung me on my hand and and this was yesterday and it's been about 18 hours and my my arm is the whole inside of my arm and my thumb and my index finger are uh, you know tingling like they've been asleep like uh, you know they're numb basically so uh yeah you come to arizona you really gotta <laughs> shake your shoes out and don't leave anything on the floor and and uh, I guess uh, check your bed. Uh, well, I tell you, I tore all the covers off last night and shook them out real good before I got in. I'm just lucky the thing didn't sting me on my face. Well, that would be a very interesting kind of conversation. <laughs> I, I probably couldn't talk. <laughs> you know, some people do that. You know, they work for certain movements in the UFO field. And although the words seem to be clear and distinct. <laughs> You're funny, Gene. Yeah, it is a problem. Uh, and people mumbling and uh, at least sounding like they're not making sense. Uh, I think that's probably accurate as well. To make some sense, though, now, on the previous week's show, the one that you appeared on with Paul Kimball, with Kevin Randall, now, one thing Paul said where he made it pretty clear where he stands about UFOs, and that is he favors ETH. I think it's crystal yes. clear about yeah, that. He Obviously, he's willing to accept other points of view. That's fine. But if we're going to lay our cards on the table, and in your case it may be difficult because one of the arms is still tingly there, and that is, where do you stand? Are you an ETH guy? Are you a multifaceted kind of guy with different solutions for different problems? What? Yeah, I think we're dealing with something infinitely more complex than uh, the simple explanation. I know that sounds crazy, but the simple explanation of the ETH, I... I have a sense that we're dealing with uh, a whole multitude of, of things. It's probably more complex than we could possibly imagine. Well, okay. More complex than we can possibly imagine. Maybe do a little imagining. Okay. What areas yeah, I, I, do you think we could possibly even approach what the answers might be? Well, uh, again, you can't factor uh, the ETH out by any stretch. And um, there probably have been visitations, I think, to this planet at, at, at some point or another. I doubt that they would be uh, involved in a covert sort of clandestine operation like we're seeing uh, with the apparently with the abduction phenomena. And, uh, for instance, cattle mutilations would be another one that seems pretty spooky. But I, I have a sense that we're dealing with a closed system phenomena, possibly akin to a trickster-like energy or a trickster-like force, which is collectively being manifested by humanity uh, in the, under the guise of, uh, of appearing alien. 
possibly in a, in a effort to draw ourselves off planet to uh, get off this this rock before the sun goes uh, supernova or before we get hit by an asteroid. I think uh, we really owe it to ourselves to look into all closed system uh, theories and explanations before we get. You know, I think self-important enough to think that anything out there is coming to visit us. Now, of no, course, the late, the late Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung wrote a book about flying saucers back in the 1950s. He spoke of the collective unconscious, which I assume it means humanity's conscious is therefore communicating this information to us. Would you say it's humanity or Mother Earth? Well, it could be both. Um, I I have a sense that the Earth is a living or superorganism. Uh, I've always kind of felt that. I think you'll find that that belief and that view uh, shared by most of the world's indigenous uh, cultures. And uh, you know, there could be some symbiotic relationship between an Earth uh, energy that's possibly creating uh, or manifesting uh, phenomena and and humans. So there may be an interesting, uh, it may be both, and there may be an interesting symbiotic relationship uh, that's taking place. Well, it may also be that we create our own reality. So whatever reality we perceive, somehow we are individually or collectively creating that reality. I'm not thinking of a matrix kind of thing, though. Right. Yeah, and that would be a classic uh, example of the collective unconscious at, at work. And uh, because if we are all collectively creating this reality and manifesting these uh, phenomenal events, there should be an underlying agenda that we have. And um, my guess would be to pull ourselves off planet, to seed the universe before the the planet is hit by an asteroid, like I said, or or the sun goes nova. I'm going to be really silly here. Can we say then that maybe the collective unconscious caused that great oil spill in the Gulf? Because it was a strange confluence of events. They've done that thing before without a problem. Yes, we can say that maybe BP oil maybe didn't use all the backup systems. There's a story they saved a half million dollars by not buying this backup valve. But in the end, it would have happened anyway, no matter what they did. Well, I think it's it's inevitable with all these hundreds of, of oil rigs that we have in the ocean, world's oceans. It, it was bound to happen. We were bound to see a catastrophic very, very unfortunate accident. And I just hope it was an accident. I I would hate to think that somebody would have the uh, you know, the balls to, to take that thing out. It, stories are coming out now about the, the head of BP selling off I think a, a majority of his stock just days before the the uh, accident, which happened on Earth Day, curiously enough. And and also there's stories of Goldman Sachs, I think, Gene, uh, s- uh, selling off uh, quite a n- number of shares of their stock in BP as well. There seems to be something going on there. I'm not sure if if this is premeditated. I'll tell you if it is, uh, someone's got a or something has a heck of a lot of karma they're going to have to deal with because this is this is really catastrophic uh, what's going well, on now. People died. Yeah. Forgetting the impact on the environment and all the natural creatures who are being injured or Yeah, people died, right? You know, that's only part of it, folks. Okay, that's only part of it. What about humans who died in this supposed accident? But, you know, we can get into that. We could get more into conspiracy theories, and maybe we should bring Ken Thomas, maybe Jim Mars back to discuss that. This week, though, we're going into an entire different realm, the realm of humanoids. You brought forth a very fascinating guest. Tell us about him. Yeah, Albert Rosales is, again, like uh, one of those unsung heroes that's been 
quietly and patiently compiling data on humanoid cases. And he's one of those unsung heroes in the field. He doesn't go around promoting himself. He doesn't uh, do all the conferences uh, very regularly. I think he does appear uh, now and again. But uh, I've never seen him uh, on any of the TV shows or at any conference. Yet he has amassed thousands and thousands and thousands of alleged reports of witnesses reporting humanoid type creatures that are non-human. It's going to be a fascinating, I think, uh, discussion because Albert is really <laughs> just glancing through some of his recent cases from this year. Uh, his his cases go all the way back into into the dim reaches of history. And although it's probably a garbage in, garbage out scenario, I'm not sure if we can glean too much uh, patterning or trends or data. But I, th I, th I think that there's going to be uh, some very interesting clues that are, are found in that database that could give us some insight into the kinds of uh, humanoid sightings that are going on around the world. And I'm really looking forward to this, Gene. Uh, Albert is, is one of those guys that I've really had a, a, a real respect for. And he's included uh, the half dozen or so humanoid reports from my database uh, have been included in his. And, and he is a very, he's a top-notch researcher, and I think you're really going to enjoy uh, our discussion with him. Well, I also noticed that he's had some of his own experiences, some unusual yeah. paranormal events. So we have Albert Rosales talking about humanoids coming up next on The Paracast. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. This is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. We won't bother you with unwanted messaging in your inbox or upon checkout, but most importantly, we care about you, our customers. Your satisfaction and happiness is our primary focus because your support means so much to us. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash namecheap where we host many great contests or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash namecheap. See you online. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. Albert Rosales joins us this week on the Paracast. Our co-host is Christopher O'Brien. And because of Chris's close encounter of the seventh kind with a scorpion, if maybe his logic is not framed as well, can we forgive that and blame it on the scorpion, Chris? <laughs> oh, Gene. Hopefully, hopefully he'll do the opposite. Well, then we can bottle it. But then, you see, the problem is the Food and Drug Administration will come down and say you can't bottle scorpion venom because it's going to kill people. Yeah, well, there's probably some crazy kids that would try it. Well, now they're going to try it anyway because they said it on the radio and we're going to get in trouble. Just before we go into syndication, Albert, welcome to the Paracast. Now, in the stuff that you sent me, all the background material, I see that you're not just a researcher, an armchair researcher. You've had your own experiences. Can you tell us when this started in your life? Yes, I had. Uh, 
very young. Um, like I like I mentioned, I was born in, uh, in Cuba, and very very early in my age, I remember having some experiences uh, where I lived in the, what, the city of Santa Clara, Cuba, central part of the island. I remember one experience very clearly, which I mentioned it to a lot of people. I was inside my my home. And I heard a commotion outside, and I must have been maybe seven or eight years old. I ran out, and there was a, a bunch of my neighbors sitting around. They they used to sit outside and just talk when we didn't have no electricity. And they were and they were looking up uh, over the the roof of a house across the street, and it appeared to be like an object, uh, maybe an egg shaped, multicolored. And everybody was pointing at the object, and they were all screaming. Americanos, Americanos, Americans, or whatever. They, they <laughs> thought it was an invasion. <laughs> now, anyway, what year was this again? I, I, I would venture to guess maybe 63. Okay. Or maybe 62 or something, or around that at that time, yeah. So uh, they all, you know, kind of ignored after a little bit, I, and I just follow it. I, it kind of flew low with the houses, and it, it went into an area behind my home. My, my backyard, I ran back there, and I, what I remember, I stood under it, and I looked up, and next thing I remember, I was, like, standing there with myself, and it was gone, and I, I'm all wet. I don't know why. I it looked like, felt like water. Anyway, I, it was darker, and it was at night, and for some reason, my parents were not looking for me, <laughs> and I was out there all by myself. Okay, so I, this is missing time. Yeah, I, that's what I think. I never been regressed, and I never been hypnotically regressed about what happened. But it, it appears to have been some missing time, and that's not the first time. Also in Cuba, that, that had something like that happen. Not the uh, first uh, time. On uh, a previous occasion or a subsequent occasion? I, I think maybe a year after that, we were at a at a beach. Uh, like um, wasn't a tourist section. It was mostly for locals in uh, Caivarien, near the town of Caivarien, Las Villas province. Uh, I was out by myself exploring, maybe the sand dunes. And what I remember, uh, there were like you know that when the the crabs they have these holes in the ground all over the place. All of a sudden, that the, these crabs started coming out of the ground. What I thought were crabs, but for me, I, I thought they were kind of big for for crabs. They were like huge they were coming out of the ground and and i was looking at them and i and i was all by myself which i thought was strange because it's you know it's a lot of people around there at the time then my next memory was being at the end of a lying down at the end of an old pier they had there in the little town which was broken down made out of wood and no one ever ventured over there because it's kind of unsafe and they my parents found me all the way at the end and they couldn't figure out how i got there of course i didn't remember anything but, you know, i never been regressed, so I don't know what could have happened there. Maybe those crabs were not real crabs, you know what I mean? <laughs> I kind of think that maybe being regressed may not always be the best solution. We've had lots of controversies over the value of that. Right, true, yeah. Because you never know, what my, they might make you remember. I, I heard about it, a lot about that, you know, I'm not sure. They might make you remember things that didn't happen. True that they want to <laughs> include in their agenda. I don't know. But I I'm, I don't know if I'll ever, ever actually remember what really happened. After that, I I moved to Spain uh, with my parents, uh, and then I moved over to the United States in, in 67, at the end of 67. 
the next experience that I could remember was here in Miami, looking out my uh, on a, with my sister. Uh, we were looking out a window in my apartment, and we saw an, another object that resembled very much the one I seen back in Cuba. Also shaped like an egg, a lot of lights appears to be coming up and down over the houses. What I remember, what he appeared to have some protrusions or some stuff sticking out of it. Uh, I don't. I don't know what happened. I think it disappeared behind some behind some clouds or something. But I remember I wrote a letter to APRO, APRO, the group that used to be uh, very active back then. And I never did get an answer though. But I was young, maybe so. I, I joined the Navy, and while in the Navy, uh, I can tell you that back in '77, I was in a. On what they call a, uh, a Mediterranean cruise, or deployed there, um, on board a destroyer tender, and uh, I was out on deck. I used to be a radio man, so I used to go up there all the way to the top and just look around. And, and I saw uh, over in the distance, over the island of Mallorca, the Balearic Island, what appeared to be a, a metallic disc, silver in color. It was just cruising along. There was a pair of binoculars on deck and uh, attached to the deck and I looked at it, but it, it was quickly lost from view. I was the only witness. I couldn't get anybody else to see it. I had some other experiences. I don't know if we have time for me to go into all of them. But well, you know, the thing is maybe we should focus on the stuff that really seems most unusual, most significant, the stuff that you know, warrants further investigation. Certainly your childhood experiences do. But going back to the stuff you had as a child, the missing time and everything, right. did you talk to your parents or siblings about this? Did they say anything? Do you recall? No. Uh, like I say, they, they seem to ignore the whole thing. And I, uh, and if I mention it to them, they will uh, either laugh it off or tell me that I have been uh, having nightmares or dreaming. I always... As a kid, I remember being afraid of uh, the dark a lot, and, and my and I wouldn't go to bed uh, with, with all the lights out. I always needed a little light on, for some reason. I, I recall another incident, also in Cuba and Santa Clara. It, it appears that I was in one of those green-like states. Uh, I wasn't sure. I was sitting in the kitchen, and around me there were these figures or people, which I recall were like all kind of luminous and they were all tall but they were like human shaped they were not you know your typical hollywood alien stereotype they were shaped like humans and they were luminous and all i know that they were talking to me of course i don't remember anything they told me i know that they they gave me their their name which i don't remember to this date and they left me with a feeling that they would be back one day that's all i remember um after that, I woke up in the morning, and I couldn't recall anything else about the experience. Now, was, did you ever think maybe later on that maybe that particular experience may have been a dream? Yeah, definitely. I, I thought about that. Kind of a pe peculiar dream, not a your run-of-the-mill dream, but yeah, yeah, it could have been a dream. Now, during the course of the things that happened to you, did you ever see any stories in the newspapers or hear anything on broadcast TV or radio that seemed to vindicate or verify what you experienced? No, the funny thing is never did I read or saw anything in Cuba about UFOs or anything like that, any aliens or never. It was only 
when I came over to the States, and not even right away, uh, I would say maybe 71 or 72 when I was in, uh, in middle school, junior high school, I went into the library at the school and I for some reason I went to the section <laughs> where they had the UFO books and all the uh, and I grabbed a whole bunch of them and I remember it was Frank Edwards, Jacques Ballet, all the old books and I checked out a whole bunch of them and started reading them and that's the first time I really read anything about UFOs and this is back in 71 or 72 time frame. Never read anything about that before. Before we focus uh, on your research, Albert, yeah. just wanted to just cover the experiences a bit more. Did you have any other experiences? You mentioned, when, of course, when you were in the military. Any other notable encounters involving a UFO or something else? Yeah, uh, some of them are uh, kind of strange. Uh, went, I guess it, some of them will fall into the term of uh, humanoids which I think is a wide range. Uh, this is right after, back in 89 when my father died um, of a stroke here in Miami. We were uh, all at, uh, most of the family members were at the funeral home that night, and there were not many of us left there. What I remember is I was, that it was after maybe two or three, the funeral home has locked the doors, and I, uh, somebody, some, so all of a sudden, somebody was knocking at the uh, on the glass window at the door, and one of the attendants there went out there, and there was we looked out. I was with him, and and it was a little man. He was swarthy, complexion, you know, dark skin, slanted eyes, and he didn't seem familiar at all. He, he looked like a maybe a midget, wearing some a, a little suit. Uh, and he was just knocking, and uh, for some reason, this guy opened the door and let him in. Now, after that, he got kind of hasty. Most of the people there were like sitting in the recliners, half awake, half asleep. And I, I just walked. I just followed the little man into my uh, where my father was in the in the area of the, the viewing, and I sat in one of the recliners, and I saw him standing by my father's casket, talking either to himself and, or some kind of gibberish, which I couldn't really make out, while everybody else around the room just appeared to be helpless, just sitting there, not doing anything. I mean, we never seen this person before, and uh, his, my father's brothers were all there, and they, they just sat there staring at this, which I, the, the same thing I was doing. I okay, so they it. saw this person, okay. Yeah, yeah. And after a few minutes, this little person or whatever it was just walked through the door and went out and disappeared. We never saw him again. Now, I, I, we all thought it was kind of strange, uh, but that's one of the experiences. Another experience that I, not personally, but uh, I had a, uh, a lady here also in Miami call me one night and told me that uh, she had looked out her back door window in her, into her back, backyard and seen... Uh, what she described to me as a devil in, in the backyard. And I told her to, you know, be more specific. What does she mean, a devil? And she said it looked like a uh, tall figure with wings, dark, like a bat. You know, the Mothman comes to mind here. Walking around her uh, a mango tree that she had in the backyard. And terrified, uh, she uh, locked all the doors, and then I believe she called the police. I'm not sure if the police responded. I think they did. I don't know what happened after that. but. I talked to her personally over the phone. I never did go into her home. She didn't. She refused to be interviewed personally. But she just thought it was had to be demonic in nature. 
Picture this. You're on the phone with a client or colleague trying to explain something visual, a PowerPoint, a keynote presentation, a website. But it's frustrating because they can't see what you're talking about. The solution? Good news. They can if you invite them to an online meeting using GoToMeeting. Then they can see your computer desktop on their computer screen so you can show them what you're talking about. I use GoToMeeting all the time to collaborate with colleagues and with clients. You can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days, but you must visit GoToMeeting slash podcasts. That's GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts for free 30-day trial you're in the paracast you never know what's going to happen next albert rosales joins us he researches humanoid cases and has had some experiences himself very unusual ones co-host is christopher o'brien chris you had some comments and questions yeah, that uh, that last uh, example of uh, humanoid sighting sounds like uh, maybe the Mothman was on vacation down in Miami or something. That's uh, is that that type of report is pretty rare, I would imagine. Humanoids with wings, that that sort of thing. Well, lately there's been a lot of. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard uh, back in uh, last year in, in Mexico, Chihuahua State. There were a lot of reports of winged humanoids, similar to the uh, Mothman type reported around March 2009. A lot of the people reported a, a winged creature that uh, resembled a, a huge bat, but shaped like a man. Others thought it was it resembled somebody wearing a cape. This is in the uh, 2009 uh, case summaries, which I have. But there were about three or four or five sightings, encounters of winged humanoids recently in, in Mexico. Of course, there's been a lot of flying humanoids uh, reports lately. Uh, there's, yeah, uh, there have, including the ones that attacked the uh, the cops down in Mexico. I remember also that one in Mexico, a couple years yeah. back. Yeah. And uh, there's been a, a one or two this year already that I uh, know about. One and a couple of them in California. It wasn't a winged humanoid, but uh, it was described as something human-shaped, like a man, but much taller, appeared to be encased in some kind of a metallic bronze color outfit or something that covered him completely, flying vertically over the, the witness's house. This is back in January this year. January or February, but it was a very interesting case. Now, looking back in through history, humanoid encounters, before we even get to the history, why did you focus on this particular aspect of UFO-related investigations? Is it because of your personal experiences or what? Because I think uh, that's where the uh, the answers lie when, with the occupants or the or these creatures who are we're dealing with here or whoever they are. I don't know, but uh, I rather investigate something dealing with a flying humanoid, a little man encounter, uh, even Bigfoot or what what have you on a light-in-the-sky incident, which I don't even worry about that anymore. I think the the humanoid encounters is where, where the uh, the mystery lies. I think this is where, uh, this is where, I, and a lot of these uh, encounters are like so uh, unusual and so uh, absurd that uh, it's, it's just, uh, I've always been attracted to them. And now, you say absurd in what fashion? Well, some of them 
just don't make any sense. Like just like that uh, little man encounter that I had in, uh, here when, back in '89, and this didn't have. There's no point to it. Like I was talking to another researcher here locally, that he said most of those encounters, so-called C3 close encounters of the third kind, even the fourth kind encounters, appear to be a sh something uh, all like a show set up or put uh, so we could see something that we're supposed to see it. It's, it's something that's not really supposed to make any sense. I don't know exactly what that means, but it's just most of them are, are totally, I mean, nonsensical, yeah. like uh, yeah, there's no a, rhyme or reason. Right. That's it. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Well, so I'm, it's basically dealing here with something where something or someone is trying to put on a show for our benefit. I don't know if it's for our benefit. It's for uh, maybe for us, for those for those people involved in the incident uh, or the encounter. Most of those people are changed. There, there's a change within them, I, I believe, and and I don't, I don't know if it's for some kind of future, uh, you know, uh, plan. I'm not sure, but uh, there there is something going on under underneath the just plain C3 encounter. That's an interesting thing, too. Do you think that you mentioned maybe they're putting on a show for our benefit, but you also go back in your studies to cases involving humanoids that go back hundreds or even thousands of years? What's the earliest that you've cataloged? Looking at it right now, the earliest one that I have, which I is a, uh, from Japan, doesn't give you an exact location, but this is like, we're talking about maybe... 2350 BC. There's a ancient manuscript uh, called Seitoki. It says during the, the time of the emperor Tanyo in the year of um, Monsham, I'm not exactly sure what that means, a divine man descended from the sky using a, using a monster that was emitting light. The people called this man the master and he received the name Tankun. Sandalwood guy. That was the translation, and his country was called Pisan. Now, this is uh, interesting. You know that that's describing somebody that came from the sky with a so-called monster that was emitting light. That nowadays that that's called a uh, close encounter of, of the third kind. But this is from a uh, ancient Japanese manuscript, and there's and here's one. Uh, I have so many. I'm from. Uh, Ukraine near uh, a river Satomi near modern day Kiev in the Ukraine. This is from the year 10,065. Uh, local residents uh, observed a strange sign in, sign in the sky which just resembled a huge star with, star with blood red beams of light. This phenomenon lasted for seven straight days. It was seen only during the evening. Around the same time, a childlike dwarf type entity was found by fishermen in the river Satomi. This river does no longer exist at the present, by the way. The dwarf was pulled out of the river in a net. The fishermen kept watch over this strange entity until late afternoon and then threw it back into the river out of fear and repugnancy. According to them, the dwarf-like entity was very strange with a much wrinkled face, another, what they mention here, shameless details on his face and body. There's no specifics, but this is from uh, another ancient manuscript uh, from the Ukraine. Uh, researcher Dmitry Labrov sent it over, forwarded over to me. This brief details of the incident. 
this is from the 10, the year 1065. And there's others. There's a uh, from 1125 in Railback, Freinstein, Germany, near the, the near this town. Uh, several witnesses, including George Miltenberger, reported seeing a bizarre entity described as resembling a burning man or a man on fire. He was seen running over the hills, spitting fire from his nose and mouth. Some said that they could plainly see his burning ribs. It reportedly remained wandering around the, the area for quite some time. That could be uh, what they described, but it could have been a, a humanoid wearing some kind of luminous clothing. You, you don't know. You never know. But this is from uh, uh, Michael Bugard and John Ferguson, the researchers, their files. Chris, you want to follow up with some of these early cases, maybe some questions or probing? Yeah, uh, I remember reading uh, Jacques Vallée's uh, book, Passport to Magonia. Quite a number of very interesting cases from the Middle Ages that I'm sure, Albert, you've been familiar with Vallée's work. I'm sure you've included uh, some of these reports, uh, if not all of these humanoid-type reports in your database. Yes. Uh, the one that, that springs to mind is the one, uh, I think it has to do with like some sort of line that was thrown down from a craft and it got hooked on the steeple of a church and uh, some humanoid type came down, unhooked it, and the craft flew away. That's the one that kind of springs to mind. Uh, there also have been cases, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, where humanoids have actually been captured and in, I think, one or two cases actually been lynched by townspeople because they thought that the being was demonic in nature right. have you have you had any reports uh, uh like that where townspeople have managed to capture or or apprehend or injure or somehow uh uh get control over some of these beings well i have i i know about the one you're mentioning about the the ship uh, with the anchor that dropped down over a church i pretty aware of that and the other ones uh, the, the people that were lynched in France because they were accused of being uh, witches which this is what happened a lot back in the Middle Ages people that I I, I'm, I suppose they had encounters or were abducted and taken to different locations they were acquitted, uh, accused of being witches I'm trying to think of a, of a case of uh, an entity being uh, see I'm trying to find here I'm looking through my my database while we're discussing this, can you tell me where to find it? Well, it, you could go to the uh, ufoinfo.com in the research section under humanoid encounters. Go there, and you should find uh, my database there. Not all of it. I have a lot of the updated stuff with me, but there's a lot of stuff there, and there's a section there with ancient encounters. Go there. See if you could see it, uh, ufoinfo.com. Okay, I found it, and what we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen, is we're going to link it from Albert's name when you click on his name at theparacast.com or forum.theparacast.com, our forums. You're going to go to this database. You're going to be able to see the same cases he's referencing, and you'll understand where it's all coming. Now, as we look at the overall picture here, which is always a good idea, I hope, do you see a consistency fundamentally allowing for differences of human perception between the cases in ancient times, B.C., and the ones we report today. Are they all seeing the same kinds of creatures, pretty much? Pretty much, even though they, they're back in, in the Middle Ages and ancient times, of course, they were interpreted differently. They were called gods, and they were 
and and the ancient ancient men did not have uh, the uh, you know the type of reference we have nowadays, which they could just the only way they could describe certain entities were like a man on fire person, you know, like they, maybe somebody wearing a luminous suit. They could only uh, see it as somebody on fire. You know what I mean? They, they couldn't think of any other words to describe it. But there, it's, it's all the same. I think we're seeing basically the same type of uh, creatures, different types, many different types, uh, not just the, the little gray Hollywood a alien, which is being uh, so, I mean, it's so... Uh, it's so popular nowadays. Yeah, but of course, the Hollywood-type alien, that was basically influenced by UFO books that describe that kind of being. Uh, only after 1980 cases, I mean, people started writing about the greys. Before that, you, you, if you look at the uh, the Jack's Ballet uh, Passport to Magonia list of cases, and, and he has hundreds of close encounters with humanoids there, there isn't one case which is describing a, a gray-type humanoid. Now, if you look at the Humcat uh, listing, which uh, I don't think is available anymore to anybody. I, I think I have most of it. In those cases, which goes up all the way to 1977, there's maybe one or two or three references of gray-type creatures and not, not exactly the one that's described nowadays. Of course, the... The, the Grays described by uh, Travis Walton back in November 75. Uh, maybe the, the Betty and Barney Hill abduction, they were not really Grays uh, like the ones we see nowadays in the, in the movies, but they were taller creatures, maybe slanted eyes, and they were wearing uniform. They were not, not the great creatures that we are led to believe are the only aliens visiting the, or being encountered. Or I say aliens, but I'm saying entities being encountered in, in the world. According to Clifford Stone, we have uh, 57 varieties of aliens that are visiting had too us. much Heinz ketchup, Chris. <laughs> 57, 57 varieties. So, so you're saying basically, you're saying that you do, you do not have uh, very many, if if any, cases prior to 1980 that are your uh, typical. Um, as you call them, Hollywood gray type aliens uh, in in the descriptions. Is well, yeah, now now I do because a lot of the people that uh, remembered being abducted while being regressed or hypnotically regressed say they could recall incidents back in the fifties or sixties or seventies of being abducted by aliens. But these cases would only only became available or only became known uh, from eighty one on or eighty on after. Uh, Hopkins book, you know, Missing Time, uh, Whitley Streeper's books, where they reported, you know, those the, the great type aliens. Then a lot of people remember or thought they remember being abducted back in the 70s or 60s or even before, and they could remember seeing so-called gray aliens. But these were not, these reports did not came to light till after the early 80s. Now, does that mean that the cases were influenced by those books or people just wouldn't talk about them because they feared people would ridicule them? Maybe there's some influence there with the books. Maybe they they kind of uh, made, made their, their whatever they encounter, whatever humanoid they encounter, they made them look like the way that research, researcher wanted them 
to look. Or maybe a lot of the cases then I I know that they, they wouldn't talk about it. There's a lot of people that just wouldn't talk about what they experienced. Yeah. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's one 800 728 2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Albert Rosales joining us, talking about humanoid encounters throughout history until the present day. In fact, his database goes up through 2009, and I presume there are 2010 cases he's collecting. Co-host is Chris O'Brien. So let me ask you about that. You're still getting humanoid encounter reports up to very recently, right? Yes, I have. Uh, recently, I talked to a lady all the way from Australia, uh, a suburb of Brisbane, and she was very concerned. Uh, her granddaughter and a friend of her granddaughter were had had several encounters at night in in the grandmother. I mean, the granddaughter's house and her friend's house also with a uh, what we call a bedroom visitation and uh, ufology uh, lingo. Uh, they will encounter a thin creature, tall, not gray, <laughs> bluish but very thin. They thought it looked almost starved, but it was very thin. It, it, it was shaped basically human, but it was tall. Wasn't wearing any clothing, but they didn't see any um, sexual organs. Uh, it was bluish, but they thought they could see what appeared to be veins, you know, blue veins running in, uh, through different parts of the body. And it had dark, big, not big, big, but bigger than human uh, dark eyes. It will look at them and it will walk walk around their bedroom. And then one night where the granddaughter, thinking that it, uh, if she slept at her friend's house one night, she wouldn't be bothered with it. They saw it over there also. She wasn't on, the only witness. Her friend also saw the creature. Uh, the lady uh, wrote to me she wanted advice on what to do. I could only tell her that I have uh, never heard of somebody being hurt. I, maybe I lied, but I didn't want to scare the lady. Well, you know, I'm going to ask you about that in a moment, so just go on, then I'm going to ask the obvious question. By, by an encounter with a humanoid, uh, I told her that the best thing to do was not to, you know, not not try to approach it unless it will approaches you and tries to contact you first. Let, you know, let, them, uh, let them make the first move. 
Okay, hurt by a humanoid. When? How? Uh, the, you know, those, most of those cases are, unfortunately, they're at, at, not all of them, but they're anecdotal in, in, uh, in nature. There's one that, that uh, in 67 that I could just top of my head in, in Brazil. Of course, Brazil has been a, uh, a place for some reason that the, these type of cases have been reported a lot. Uh, people have been injured or hurt uh, by encounters with UFOs. Uh, this is a, um, I'm trying to find it uh, so I could read it verbatim for you guys. This is back in 1967 uh, in Brazil uh, at a little airstrip. Can't remember the name of the place, uh, but they, there was a husband and wife that were like, they guarded the location. There were like guards there and one, and they saw uh, on the tarmac, on the on the landing strip, uh, what appeared to be a, a disc-shaped craft. And they saw some figures that were, they looked like men, but they're very thin and they were wearing tight-fitting light yellow outfits and they had bald heads, no hair. Their eyes were normal. They were running around. And according to the, the man, the man and the, la the, the lady, uh, they, they looked like children playing around for some reason. Now, the, uh, her husband grabbed a gun, a rifle, and went, in, went inside the, the his room grabbed a rifle and shot at uh, one of the creatures. I don't know if it's not known if he hit him, but immediately, seconds after that happened, uh, a thin ray of uh, a beam of light came out of out of the of the object and struck him. He was knocked down, uh, senseless, and the figures ran into the object and it took off, disappeared from sight. What what uh, what happened after that? He was taken ill he was taken into the hospital and uh, which and he died maybe two or three days after that I'm trying to find the see what they say what the cause of death but it was it was some kind of uh, had to do with some kind of uh, a fulminating cancer that all of a sudden just got got him or which I'm thinking maybe some kind of radiation but uh, that's one of the cases that come off the top of my head that is uh very interesting. All right, I, I can't find the. Here we go. Here we go. The guy's name was. He's a. He was a 49-year-old man, Ignacio de Sosa, August 13, 1967. Might be in the in the uh, in the database you're looking at. I don't know if I have 67 there already. He shot at one of the uh, creatures, and a beam of green light was emitted from the UFO and struck the Sosa on the head and shoulders. He fell unconscious. The three entities entered the object, which then took off vertically, high speed, uh, which is sound like a humming of bees. Uh, the Sosa not only incurred a circular burnt patch in diameter, but also upon examination by a physician, was was found to have leukemia, of which he died in less than two months. This sounds like radiation poisoning of some sort, doesn't it? Yeah, but one does really was really accelerated. <laughs> yeah, he died within two months after that. This case was investigated by the, the late uh, Dr. Olavo Fontes. He was a very famous uh, researcher in, in Brazil. Yeah, I just brought it up here. Uh, I have a little image there of the, the object on the tarmac there. Now, do you notice instances where people who see these humanoids or get close encounters with UFOs 
are harmed in some way. Do you see that kind of injury report being focused on any particular area of the country? Maybe it's just some kind of prejudice or something, but it, it seems to me that South America gets more of these cases. It seems to me Mexico uh, used to be Brazil, used to be the hub of a lot of the uh, incidents in which people were either injured or, or uh, outright killed by by UFOs. Um, but however, there's uh, I know of cases a case in India, uh, maybe a case in the in the hold on. I mean, there's a case in India in which uh, appears to have been uh, some kind of uh, encounter with humanoids, and then the a mutilation of uh, human mutilation Ooh. and those are you know kind of a taboo uh, in many instances uh, this is in, I believe in 1958 uh, well, there, there was somebody um, a man saw, uh, saw a couple of children playing and uh, and uh, near the where the children were playing uh, an object was seen to land and some uh, small figures were seen to come out of the object and, and approach his children. Now, after that, he went, he hid, and he didn't see what happened after that. He he left his place of hiding where he was, and when he went to the location where he had seen the object and the children, he found that one of the children was uh, dead. Apparently, uh, he had been uh, mutilated, uh, his eyes removed, anal cavity, you know, just like you hear when it happens to cattle. And the other child was in a catatonic state. This incident supposedly happened in 1958 in um, India. This is from uh, researcher Jenny Randalls from uh, England. Wow, that's that's quite bizarre. I've, I've always been on the lookout for years. I've been on the lookout for cattle mutilation cases from India. This right. is the first <laughs> mutilation case that I've, I've heard of from India, but it turns out to be a child. That's really... That's rather sobering. Uh, India does not seem to figure very prominently in most uh, ufologist uh, databases. What are the number of cases uh, approximately that you have from India? Is, is this something that's uh, fairly rare there, uh, humanoid encounters? Uh, obviously, a human mutilation case would be extremely rare, but how much activity has there been over the years in India? Well, quite a bit, but I, I, you're right. I don't have that many uh, humanoid cases from India. Uh, I was talking to a researcher there uh, not too long ago. He said that a lot of the, there have been cases, but many could be sociological uh, reasons or people don't come out and talk about these things over there. They're interpreted as maybe uh, encounters with deities. You know, the, uh, you know, the India and the, uh, the Hindu religion as a um, myriad of uh, gods and goddesses and, they're interpreted on, and, and at that level, and many of them are not interpreted as perhaps ex extraterrestrial or humanoid, but there are some cases in, in the files, uh, not that many. Again, How about Monkey Man? Remember Monkey Man yeah. from a few years back that uh, yeah. was kind of their version of the spring-heeled jack? He would yes. uh, leap up from the, from the street up to the top of two- and three-story buildings and chase people around i think a couple of people even died from shock and panic and why don't you why don't you give us a brief overview of that particular uh series of uh encounters that's that's pretty interesting i included it in my recent book this is back in uh, i believe 2002 there were many cases around new delhi 
mostly around New Delhi area, but in other other areas. But this uh, monkey man, uh, there were sep- there were different descriptions of the, this entity. Uh, some people described it as short, hairy, you know, with a lot of hair and wearing a some kind of brown smock, bright eyes, and they were he will come and and a lot of times the the uh, witnesses were scratched or they were extremely frightened. Other other people described the entity as being able to jump up, take tremendous leaps into the air, even fly, you know, short distances. But there were many different descriptions. Uh, uh, what I know is a uh, one pregnant woman fell down the steps uh, upon seeing the, the creature and consequently died after that. Uh, there was another man that was found after an encounter. He was found crashed and he was also dead. They, they thought it was related with the encounter, encounter with a monkey man. Now, after that, uh, the, I, I believe there are no more cases till 2004 when they had also in India reports of uh it wasn't really an entity or a humanoid but it was like it, like a ball of light that emitted like loud humming and it will burnt burn the uh the witness it was like uh caused a lot of injuries also around the new delhi area it was also in the news for a while this is i believe 2004 and there were a lot of injuries related to that okay so why is in the papers in india uh it, you know, I believe it was in the papers, but uh, I don't. I, I don't really have the reference with me. But it, it was. Uh, it went on for a while, maybe just like the Monkey Man. The Monkey Man was in the papers, and it was. Uh, it was even uh, covered in papers here in, uh, I believe, in, in the UK. Now, one of the considerations here is in collecting all these cases. Do you ever get a chance to actually go down on the scene to investigate, to interview people, and see for yourself what's going on? I, I done that locally. On several cases, the late, the re- most recent one, uh, I talked to a, a young man here in uh, Miami, Western Day County. He has had several uh, incidents of uh, encounters. Them, the only humanoid case was uh, that I could term as a humanoid. He was last year, maybe in the summer. He he was out standing in the front of his home, and he he saw uh, something coming down the road that to him it it looked like a car but it wasn't a car i don't know if you know what i mean he said it it looked like um like a bulls the old Volkswagen, but it was it had big fender but he couldn't see any tires or wheels okay it looked like the original volkswagen beetle then right right something like that but it was kind of luminous and didn't have any wheels it was kind of floating over the ground it came over and kind of stopped i haven't even summarized this case yet it stopped in front of his home and he was kind of uh, in a daze, and he walked over, and he, the door on the other side opened, and he saw legs coming out of the car. After that, he doesn't remember. Uh, he his, his next memory was being inside of the home, sitting and watching TV or something. But he, him and his girlfriend has experienced uh, other strange incidents in the house, not necessarily humanoid in nature. Uh, I also interview a, a boy here in the homestead, it was just south of Miami, close to the Keys. He saw a, a being or an entity a, uh, in a field ac- across his home. And of course, that area there on Homestead is a lot of fields, a lot of it's mostly agricultural. Is that it was a tall figure wearing a, a silvery uh, suit, 
And the interesting part was he had some kind of a insignia, luminous insignia, and in in like in the chest area, it looked like a badge to him, some kind of inscription. But he couldn't tell exactly what it was. Sounds it like had, a superhero. <laughs> some maybe uh, what do you call that? Uh, the uh, Power Rangers or something. But he he had luminous eyes, and he was looking at the. I talked to him personally to the boy and his family. And he sounded pretty uh, sober, and he it didn't didn't appear to me that he was making it up. Uh, after that, is according to him, him and his family had weird dreams, you know, uh, of uh, being abducted and stuff like that. But he, I think he only saw that uh, entity once. I'm still in touch with him. See if there's any more incidents. Of the cases submitted to you, have you found any that are? blatantly false or turn out to be hoaxes after investigation i know in the files that i have in those there are definitely hoaxes there i include i i i tend to include everything that's submitted directly to me uh, yeah i had some people especially but they were so outrageous and so uh i mean stupid that i, I you could tell right away it was come on who are you trying to kid uh, i have one guy trying to tell me that he was <laughs> That he he's seen what appears appear to be a uh, a, stethos, a, a doctor stethoscope floating around his backyard, following him, trying to uh, take his I don't know his vitals or something, and, <laughs> and and he sent me about ten or fifteen emails begging me to include his case. And I call him up and go, what, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to, are you, are you serious? You know, come on. Then he, he, I think he was on medication or something, but he said, he wasn't well, he watching some. the repeats of house on TV too often. <laughs> maybe <laughs> a stethoscope. Yeah, or maybe take the drug that Dr. House took on TV, he took all those painkilling drugs. You take enough of those, you start seeing things. Yeah. Yeah, I had a couple of those. And I, I, when it's an outright host and somebody is, I, I don't include it in the in my files. Like you know, I have in my files all these 1950 cases, like the contactee cases, and like Adamski and or some of the others that you can tell, you know. But I, but I, I include them because there's actually people that swear from, swear by those cases. I believe, actually believe they're real believers that. There are space brothers that are coming here to help us in 2012. <laughs> okay, so your database here, you're not really vetting everything. You're just including anything that just seems like it might be vaguely sensible. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I get a lot of cases from overseas also, but most of those cases have been investigated. And a lot of these cases are sent over to me, and I have to translate them. Many of them I have to translate. I'll and, tell you what, we'll get more involved in these humanoid cases on part two of the PowerCast. Co-host is Christopher O'Brien, our guest, Albert Rosales. We're looking at humanoids, connected or not connected with UFOs. More coming on the other side of the PowerCast. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the PowerCast, send it to news at com. That's news at com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com.
Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. Our guest this week, humanoid researcher Albert Rosales, our co-host is Christopher O'Brien, still recovering from the venom from a scorpion, a very eager scorpion, 9ET scorpion, but an earthly kind of scorpion, the kind you find here in Arizona. Chris, you want to pick up on the questioning? Albert, first of all, we never really established the just the impressive uh, extent of your database. How many? About how many reports and, and cases do you have now? Right now, I, I will say close to 15,000 already. Wow. I still, have, I still have hundreds here to enter and from books like I get from uh, different parts of the world. I got to translate them. And I mean, a lot of these books and, and journals and cases that I get are unheard of here in the United States, which is interesting. That's why I want to include them. So that way everybody has access to what goes on in different parts of the world. Isn't that unfortunate, though, the fact that here in the U.S. we don't pay attention to the fact that UFOs, it happens to be a worldwide phenomenon. We don't look at South America. We don't look at Europe. We don't certainly look at Asia. We don't look at third world countries. Very unfortunate. But how do you pick up cases like that? Is it always because of the fact that you have people around the world who are submitting stuff to you? Or do you have to sit back and just do all the research yourself? Do you have helpers? I have a couple people. Yeah, I have some helpers, uh, definitely. Uh, lately, I've been getting help from down South America, Chile, Argentina. I have some. What I normally do, uh, we exchange information. I send them stuff, and they send me stuff. Sometimes I used to have a guy in the Ukraine that I will send him packages every other month, books, magazines that he can't, he couldn't get over there in the Ukraine. He spoke English, so he was able to read them, and he will send me uh, cases that he will translate for me, and uh, I will do that. And I had, you know, people from Australia, Poland, Sweden, uh, Germany, the many different countries, Canada, help me with 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 the research. Yes. Well, I remember that's how we met. Uh, as you were inquiring about a couple of cases from my database, and uh, I yes. seem to recall that. Uh, that's how when we uh, I first found out about you and your work, and uh, I was quite impressed with the way that you approached me and how you asked uh, for the information. wasn't ju- It wasn't just send it along or can I use it. It was like you really wanted to know more about it. And I think that that's that side of uh, human nature, that sort of curiosity and wanting to know uh, the facts, I think is really important for a researcher such as yourself. You can't always take everything at face value. If there is an opportunity to dig into it, uh, I'm I'm impressed that you do uh, go the extra uh, mile and do that. Um, On these cases, communication uh, doesn't seem to be, uh, it seems to be the exception rather than the norm. Uh, Most of these cases seem to be just these beings are being observed. Uh, what percentage would you say of cases are there? Is there an actual interaction with the humanoid type, and uh, and and do you see any sort of, I don't know, just consistency in terms of the what these uh, humanoid types are asking or saying? Is there any rhyme or reason to the communication? Well, most of the cases in which communication is reported is, is telepathic communication. And most of these cases are the abduction cases or the abduction scenarios. Many times there, there's cases in which uh, the main theme here that the 
they seem to communicate uh, when there's their first encounters. They tell you right away that tell whoever they encounter is, don't be afraid, I'm not here to hurt you. Well, thank God they say that. You know. uh, and then a lot of these people that claim encounters or abductions are, are told that they'll be back one day. They're coming back. They'll be back. You'll see me again. They don't really give you a time frame. A lot of people are invited to go with them. And they're told, uh, do you want to come with us? And a lot of the people, most of the people are reluctant or hesitant and they they want to know for how long and they, I know cases of people that have been told well you'll be gone for a couple months three months a year and some people have been told no you'll never be back again but it will be better for you uh, I, I suspect that there are people that had said yes and they've never been seen again where they're at now I don't know but uh, I don't know if you all recall the incident of uh, Frederick Ballantich, back in 78, the, the guy that disappeared in a plane down in Australia. He reported a, a UFO coming close to his, he had a small aircraft, uh, and it hovered over him, and his last transmission was something that he was getting close, then there was a noise, and he was never seen again. There was a, a search, and nothing was found, and there were other other people that saw that other UFOs in the area around the same time and there's another similar case in 1980 near Puerto Rico uh, two men in a, in a aircraft reported being harassed or followed by a craft that wouldn't let them maneuver uh, where they were headed to San, I believe Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic or they were headed back to Puerto Rico I'm sorry and this craft was following them and, and their transmission was picked up by a, an Iberia, Iberia Airlines coming from Spain to uh, to Florida, and the the guy finally gave up and says, "No, I, I, this craft won't let me go anywhere, and uh, I have no. Uh, we we we're lost. We can't go anywhere." They, of course, they this they were never heard from again either. Their plane was never found. His father was a, a lieutenant commander in the Puerto Rican police, and he spent years trying to figure out what happened to his son he searched the area by himself or many times soon after the the coast guard finished searching and he never found his son and there there are many cases in which uh, ufos have directly related to disappearances of people hmm. yeah. well now we're looking at that here is it always possible here that the people who disappeared for a period of time, whether it was months, years, or forever, they had other reasons, other compelling reasons to disappear. Maybe they had financial difficulties, they had legal difficulties, the police are after them or something. Or maybe they didn't tell us and they just disappeared before they were caught. Well, I'm sure that 90% of the people that voluntarily banishes, that's the reason. Uh, but there's always that, that small percentage that it, they have no reason at all for them disappearing or their they disappear in strange circumstances or like these two cases I just mentioned or um, I know of some cases in which people have disappeared in the vicinity of a, like a case in Brazil again we go back to Brazil in 78 that two cousins according to the incident they were picked up by a UFO two, two boys they were maybe 14 or 15 years old this is in, uh, in a place called Piranhas in Brazil, and state, I think the state of uh, 
Minas Gerais in 78. They were picked up by a UFO. They were gone for maybe one or two days. One of the boys was brought back. He was found like 200 kilometers away from where he was originally picked up. His cousin, however, was never seen or heard from again. So apparently they let him go and they took his cousin with him. And this case was verified by local researchers. There's a lot of the information, and in, in, like you say, in South America and some of the other parts of the world, in the former Soviet Union, and all those places that we never hear from, and we totally ignore over here. Yeah, you know, like I said, most of the, I mean, the, in my opinion, the general public, most of the public uh, is, doesn't have a clue of what's going on. That's true. Especially Americans seem to have blinders on when it comes to you know, they think American reports are the only ones that matter, and I think some of the most, if not the most compelling cases, uh, do not come from the United States. I think they're rather cookie-cutter here, as opposed to South America, as you mentioned, or, or uh, Europe, like Eastern Europe. They tend, tend to have much more bizarre reports, like like the Varhenia case. Uh, what do you make of that particular case? Well, that, Maybe explain know, to our listeners first, because we've had A.J. Javert on the show couple of years back talking about Brazilian cases, but before we look at the implications, maybe Albert, remind our listeners what it's all about. Barinha case in Brazil back in 19, I'm sorry, in 1996, yes, January, uh, there was a report, uh, first there was a report of a UFO that appeared to be in trouble, there was smoke coming from it, a cigar-shaped craft reportedly crashed. A little bit soon after that, some girls in the outskirts of uh, Barguinha, a place called Jardim Andere, reported encountering, encountering several creatures in the in, in the bushes that they were like short uh, with little ridges on their head, big heads, red eyes. Again, they were not greys, totally different from greys. And uh, these were apparently the survivors of uh, a crash. There was immediately there was police and military activity in the area. And supposedly the, the Brazilian poli- uh, military captured and was able to recover s- some of these creatures. During the incident, um, the, the clay, some of these soldiers came, came in close contact with the creatures, and one of them reportedly died as a result. He developed some kind of a disease or condition that could not be uh, corrected, and he died shortly after and um, this this case is one of the most compelling that I think when it comes to uh, possibly a crash um, I think it's even more important than uh, Roswell I mean well, you get well, the creatures were spotted uh, there were reports were coming in two three months later right that, uh, supposedly one of the creatures was not captured and was seen lurking around the area also uh, there was quite a bit of Speculation that somehow officials from NASA, I think, were were uh, seen going into the hospital. Uh, we have reports of an autopsy that supposedly was done. What is the state of the case now? I mean, have, have we learned anything from about the ninety-eight uh, two thousand point on? I, I think that's about when the case sort of faded away uh, in in most ufologists' minds uh, to some extent. But uh, have you heard of any other new developments? Has anyone come forward from the hospital or from the military? Last I heard is, was several uh, people involved in the hospital, like nurses and doctors. They, uh, they sort of confirmed the incident with some of the Brazilian researchers like Gavard 
and a couple other guys, and um, they they spoke they spoke more about the uh, the death of the soldier that came in close contact, and there was more details in that. I've been trying to update that case, and I uh, in my files I still have a stack of stuff here to do, but. As of uh, 2000, in the early 2000, there haven't been too much out of that case. M much more in new information, I meant. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox, plus a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. You're a little arrogant. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Albert Rosales, an experiencer. He's had unusual encounters with this, that, and the other thing through his life, and also a researcher into humanoid cases. Now, maybe we look at the end game here. Have you reached any conclusions? All this data you have there, and we realize some of it may not have been fully vetted. Some of it is just there for the sake of historical record. But have you begun to think what might be causing all these reports of humanoids throughout history i don't know but i i think we might be reaching a, a some type of a, like you call it an end game because it's been going on for so long if you think about it but we go back thousands of years this type of uh, incidents uh, of encounters is it going to go on forever I, I don't know it seems like it has it, it seems like uh if my belief that we on Earth we had there have been other civilizations before us, and for some reason they have come to an end, and somebody some other civilization has started. Maybe it's our turn to go. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's coming to a point when there's going to be some kind of a, like they call it Earth's change. <laughs> I don't know, but I think there's got to be a point to all of this. Exactly what it is, I wish I knew. Well, having even considered that possibility, do you see things and maybe the information that's communicated by the entities to the witnesses that might indicate some kind of purpose? That's assuming, of course, it's not all deception, which it might be. Well, you guys, of course, remember the, the Chilean earthquake, Chilean earthquake this year? In um, 2009, there was a, a case, is it my... If you look at my 2009 files, should be there a case in, in August in France in which the uh, witnesses were told that to watch out for the date, February 28th or 29th, that there was going to be a, a major catastrophe. Watch out for in 2010, February 28th, 
29th, which of course it did occur. There was definitely a major catastrophe. Of course, they didn't mention anything about the the bigger catastrophe of the Haitian earthquake right before that one, early January. I, I think that these uh, entities have the the ability to uh, tell what what the future is, is going to bring or is bringing us. But that's in the in the 2009 file. They uh, apparently they they were able to describe exactly uh, what was going to happen, and the case was written down before the uh, earthquake. It wasn't done like uh, after the earthquake. It's in the it's in the 2009 file. I believe August. It kind of reminds me of John Keel being told that uh, uh, there was going to be some cataclysmic occurrence. I think it was the assassination of the Pope, if I recall on a particular date and it turned out that that's when the silver bridge collapsed yeah he was uh, he was lied to he was told several things that never happened and then the bridge collapsed and he right. had the, yeah some kind of um i don't know some kind of uh they they give you little hints and pieces here but when the true event comes around you don't know is that is that very prevalent uh is that something that happens uh a lot, some sort of pro- prophecy being uh, handed over to uh, humans by these humanoids, uh, is, or is that pretty rare? Well, it, it's been pretty prevalent. It, it, it was pretty prevalent back in the 90s, 89, in Eastern Europe. For some reason, right after the collapse of the Soviet Union, there was a humongous wave of uh, encounters with humanoids and entities from 89 to 1991. And all that region there, Russia, Ukraine, all the uh, former uh, provinces of the Soviet Union. And a lot of these encounters, uh, the ent- the witnesses were told by the entities about future coming. They mentioned global warming. They mentioned uh, coming wars, catastrophe. It's been pre- pretty prevalent. Every time there's an encounter with, uh, with uh, aliens, not every time, I mean, a lot of times when there's an encounter with aliens or supposed aliens, they they sort of hint to coming uh, disasters. It's more prevalent than, than we think, actually. Well, that gets to be the whole thing about deception, where creatures come down, they say something, and sometimes it comes to pass, and sometimes it doesn't. But the thing that bothers me about the whole thing is the fact that it's gone on for so long. I mean, if E.T. comes here in a starship, and they set up a base on the moon or whatever. And they send their scout ships over here. And maybe occasionally they crash. And you think, for thousands of years, they're coming here, going back and forth to whatever. But, you know, we can't nail it down. Isn't there something that might indicate maybe they're closer to home than Zeta Reticuli? <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, my my feeling, my uh, theory that I like to uh, espouse more than uh, the extraterrestrial theory is that Maybe we're being visited by uh, people from other, or beings from other dimensions, other universes within ours, from other uh, dimensional planes of existence that there might be hundreds of them in our own little Earth here, in our, you know, our three-dimensional world. Maybe there's about a hundred dimensions that we don't see. And once in a while, somebody or something from one of those dimensions is able to cross over and wreak havoc here with us. Yeah, maybe we're the UFOs in their world. <laughs> I know of cases that it seems to indicate that um, these creatures are able to appear suddenly from 
what appear to be portals or into your room. They say uh, that you're sleeping in the bed and all of a sudden some kind of portal uh, materializes in your bedroom. And out of that portal, somebody walks out and then there's an interaction with that creature. And your 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 first thing might be an, an extraterrestrial, but not necessarily. Um, maybe we're dealing with uh, interdimensional beings. I know, or they uh, might have a matter transporter, just like Star Trek does. You know, I mean, they're experimenting with that in the test labs now. Yes, yes, I heard, uh, and and also invisibility. All of a sudden, they become invisible, like some of the Bigfoot creatures that have been reported. And for for some reason, they they're seen running down the field. All of a sudden, they. They disappear and then they appear again. I, I heard of cases that that way. I, I know of a case here in Miami. Uh, the lady was lying on her couch watching TV. All of a sudden, she was in, unable to move. And from her window, what appeared to be a, a the window that led to the street, something that, that resembled a TV screen came floated in and hovered over, you know, the bedroom floor. And under that TV screen, a figure climbed out. It looked like a man wearing a uniform uh, coverall with a helmet, visor, a visor helmet. She couldn't see any facial details. She wasn't able to move. All of a sudden, she kind of was able to move for some reason, and the creature, the man stepped back, and he hit a button in his shirt or his coverall, and he jumped back. He's, according to her, he's kind of somersaulted back into the uh, TV screen thing, and disappear into there, and then it, it floated out the window again. <laughs> That's a bizarre one. Of course, yeah. you could also look at sleep paralysis or something. Yeah, kind of an unusual one. I, 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 uh, I've been involved with sleep paralysis, sleep paralysis incident here, uh, which I, you're laying in bed and you're unable to move, and you swear you hear somebody walking around you, and but you're unable to move, but you, you, you swear that you're awake. You hear noises, and, and all of a sudden you're you're back to reality again. That's happened to me several times. But this phenomenon of winking in and winking out of our reality, you almost wonder sometimes if this is like a holographic projection. I mean, if you look at the Star Trek series, mostly in Star Trek Next Generation, the holodeck, where they can go in there and the computers create an artificial reality that seems real. Now, that artificial reality, well, okay, we're projecting something that will happen three or 400 years hence. But an advanced civilization might be able to do that now. How do we know that what we see is really there and not some kind of movie or show for our benefits? No, we don't. We don't really know. Uh, some of these things appear to be, yeah, just totally holographic in nature. Like some, some of these creatures, uh, they've been seen. You can see it from the front. But then there appears to be one-dimensional. Turns around and there's nothing there. I I, I seen of cases. I heard of cases like that. Or, yeah, I, that's how my case went. When I was little in in '63, the same year that you had your first uh, encounter, I had a group of non-human humanoid type entities that followed me around my neighborhood. And at one point, I was I had stopped to get a good look at them and watched them come underneath the streetlight as they were following me and. They turned sideways and, and came through the light like pieces of paper, like they had no depth. Right. It was the weirdest thing. Well, that terrified me. <laughs> That's is that a detail that that uh, that you've encountered uh, in your that database? Is that something fairly prevalent, or is that pretty rare? Not prevalent, but I know of several cases. 
that way, that kind of case. The people report two-dimensional. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, right. That they appear to have no depth, and uh, or sometimes they're they're see-through. They come in and out, like of visibility. As in uh, another occasion, I uh, there's been cases of uh, that the creatures appear to morph into a different form. You heard of those? That must be pretty rare. I've never heard of a case like that. You mean they take it on a different humanoid type form? Yes. I, there's a couple of cases. One from uh, Israel, with, which is some, there have been a lot of weird cases there and not too much known also here in the United States. And uh, There's a database of Israeli cases, unfortunately, is in, is in Hebrew. And I was able to translate a little bit, but I, uh, some of the cases that I, there's one case which a couple in um, Tel Aviv uh, came upon a, and this is inside their home, a, a short, a big-headed gray-type creature, and uh, it, it walking in their in their room, and they follow it, and all of a sudden it seemed to morph into a tall, blonde, Nordic type, and then it disappeared out through the wall. No, that's kind of, that's bizarre. And there's another case in the, in which uh, a, uh, a witness supposedly was abducted on board a craft, and he was confronted by a tall, uh, blonde Nordic. But the Nord, this Nordic type seemed to be fading in and out, and behind it, she saw what appeared to be a reptilian, or a, a kind of a reptile-looking being. It's kind of weird. This is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. We won't bother you with unwanted messaging in your inbox or upon checkout, but most importantly, we care about you, our customers. Your satisfaction and happiness is our primary focus because your support means so much to us. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash namecheap where we host many great contests or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash namecheap. See you online. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. Before we get too weird, Albert Rosales and the very weird recently stung Christopher O'Brien as co-host. I'm Ouch. not going to stop harping on that, am I? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, people harp on me all the time, so I am going to get my revenge. Okay, so Albert, we have all these cases of people winking in and out, and we have all these things, and maybe we want to go back to Carl Jung's collective unconscious, and maybe we're generating these illusions for some higher purpose? That's also a... Uh a possibility, yeah. Collective, collective consciousness. Uh, I think John Keel uh, called it the super spectrum, didn't he? He thought that this whole thing was some kind of a, everything was connected, all kinds of uh, entities, uh, Bigfoot, winged creatures, Mothman, humanoids, UFOs. They're all part of a uh, so-called super spectrum that was, and contact i mean it was connected with humans somehow for some purpose yeah, just to mess with us <laughs> yeah. 
the trickster you know, pull, us, pull us forward yeah the trickster exactly that, that's why I wrote the book, uh, Stalking the Tricksters. We, there's so many cases that I personally have investigated and countless cases that I've heard of from credible uh, researchers and investigators that, you know, you touched on this at the very beginning, Albert, that, that, that it's nonsensical. There's just no rhyme or reason for why cases occur the way they do, why these entities do the things they do, why they telepathically sometimes communicate nonsensical information, ask uh, just totally bizarre questions. There is a tricksterish quality uh, to many of these cases, and I really feel that that trickster definition, <laughs> it makes as much sense as pretty much any of the other uh, explanations that are floated out there, especially the extraterrestrial hypothesis. One thing that uh, we haven't touched on, you just mentioned it briefly here, uh, in terms of an observation of one of your uh, witnesses, reptilian cases, uh, how, are they prevalent? Where do they mostly occur? Uh, do you see any sort of patterning uh, with these types of, uh, of descriptions? Uh, do you know when they really first started? Uh, what, you know, when in your database do you first start to see these types of reports? Uh, what do you have to say about these reptilian cases? Well, they, they were, they've been reported before, they, the early in the, like in the 70s, perhaps in the 60s, but these cases with so-called reptilians are mostly prevalent here in the United States for some reason. But you remember the case back in 72 of the two police officers in Ohio, they saw that reptilian-type creature on the side of the road. This is March 72. It was seen by two police officers twice. Uh, and then there's another case in New Jersey in 74. A, a guy driving down the road, he, he saw a big f figure standing on the side of the road. He looked at it closer and he looked like, to him, he looked like a big reptile with red eyes and scaly, scaly, um, you know, body. And these cases were like in 74, 72, which were, back then there, there wasn't talk reptilians and reptilians overlords or whatever uh, and then in the late 80s people started talking about encountering reptilians while being abducted and uh, and then we have some researchers that focus into the reptilian uh, side of uh, humanoids like uh, David Icke and uh, some others but, uh, but they seem to be prevalent here in the United States Reptilian encounters. I know one case here in Miami, but it was more like a morphing, a morphing entity again. Which at first it was a, a woman, tall, black-haired woman inside the house that seemed to morph into a to a reptilian creature. And at the same time, there was a UFO hovering outside. This is back in '83, but it's that raises a wider issue here too. And this is something that. John Keel has mentioned that if you look into the areas where people see lots of UFOs, strange creatures, whatever, lots of other crazy stuff is going on, but we're so focused on the UFOs, we don't think about the poltergeists or the ghosts or the strange creatures. So in looking into these cases at all, do you see evidence that this is just the tip of the iceberg? Yeah, in many instances when there's a UFO encounter or a creature or entity encounter, there's other stuff going on. Like you say, there's poltergeist activity. Whatever that means, I don't know. It, it, there's 
yeah, mutilations, domestic animals, uh, farm animals. There's other encounters. There's uh, strange uh, people visiting the witness or strange phone calls. There, there's a there's a, a, a wide range of uh, different incidents, and most of most of the cases when there's an encounters with uh, entities. I'm not saying all of them, but there there's also uh, there's there's even cases when people mess or with Ouija boards, and they try to call in a an entity or a UFO. They they had encounters uh, with strange entities or UFOs right after the their little Ouija board thing. Now, I know I never tried a Ouija board, but be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I have tried that when I was very young. Not that young, maybe 18 or 19. A close friend's mom had extraordinary experiences with it. But, again, I tend to think that just you're subconsciously just moving the planchette around. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, one time I think I tried to I attempted it with some of my family members, my sons. But we had a couple of wine, uh, couple wines, so I don't know if, if it could be <laughs> a... Uh, an experience that was really, but no, I didn't. I didn't get anything from it, so I don't know what to tell you. I tried. I tried it once with some friends when I was a teenager, and it just kept saying no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> it didn't matter what we asked; it just said no. <laughs> I, I, I even it knew what, it knew <laughs> what you were doing because it oh. said no. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a good idea. I heard that sometimes. Uh, when you mess around with a supposedly with a Ouija board, you you might bring in something from uh, from the other from the other side that you don't want. Yeah, lower lower vibration uh, type energies. Yeah, it's not something to mess around with if you're not real spiritually uh, strong. Uh, if you have any sort of spiritual twitchiness, it it'll, it could bite you. Yeah. So we shouldn't investigate that. But then, if we're looking into all these other auxiliary or complementary events that makes things pretty complicated let me ask you here because we only have the last half hour to go here and some of our listeners will ask about your background so basically tell us about your professional background what kind of work you've done i understand you were in the military at one time right i was four years in the navy i was a radioman um I had a top secret clearance. I was there from 76 to 80, and I got an honorable discharge. Uh, uh, I remember in, while in the Navy, uh, I used to be subscribed to, um, remember that old UFO magazine, Saga, the Saga UFO magazine? Well, then you read some of my stories. I wrote a couple of articles there. You did? I did, I, indeed. Your, your, your name uh, was familiar, maybe from the magazine, from Saga, yeah. Yeah, and I used to get it at the naval base. And one time I was called down to the chief, and they had opened the uh, my mail. They asked me why do I, why was I interested in this? Why did I read this magazine? There were a bunch of guys standing around there. And I go, well, that's, I told me it was my hobby <laughs> that I was into uh, strange uh, stuff and UFOs. They kind of laugh it off, and they gave they gave me the magazine back. But after that, I uh, when I left the Navy. I worked with my father for a while. I you worked with your father. What was he doing? He, he was a jeweler, a jewelry. And, uh, he, but he was he got sick and he died, like I said, in, in 89. But already then, I, I already joined a local... Uh, I worked for the local government here in Miami-Dade. I've been working for there for 27 years. What is your function? That's all I would like to say about that. 
because uh, I, I don't want to mention the uh, the entity that I work with. Fair enough. We don't don't want to get you in trouble either. Do they occasionally come to you and say, you know, Albert, this stuff's a little bit crazy. Why are you involved? No, not really. I pretty I keep it pretty low key, and uh, they they uh, they're pretty much uh, you know they don't they don't bother me. Does that connection help you research some of this stuff? I try not to mix. Uh, no, I try not to mix uh, my work with uh, my research. If I hear anything related there, I, I uh, later on maybe I, I tend to follow up, but not connected with my work. Now, you have a family, you have kids, a wife. Yes. Have, wife. have they ever had any experiences? One of my two of my sons have. Uh, my middle son Alex, he had where in my other apartment where I used to live before I moved over to my new home. This place was kind of weird. He, you'll be sitting here at the computer. No, you swore there was somebody standing behind you. You would look back, and there was nobody there. Anyway, he told me that one day he saw a, a man wearing what appeared to be a brown monk's habit in one of the rooms, which is weird. And before that, he at the other house, he was uh, in his room sleeping. All of a sudden, he woke up, and he saw what he described to me what, a, what looked like an old lady, older lady, and standing in the room, looking at him. She looked normal, except she didn't have, she, he could only see her from the waist up, no legs, or, you know, only the waist up, but he was standing there, or floating there, looking at him. And one of my other sons uh, seen a, uh, what he described to me as a luminous disc-shaped object outside the home one time, which I didn't see. How old were they when these things happened? Uh, maybe 18 for the first one, and the other one was much younger, maybe 10 or 11 or, before, or younger than that, 9. Okay, looking at influences, were they aware that you had unusual encounters when you were young? I never talked to them about that until uh, they were older. I, they knew that I would I would read. Uh, had, I used to have a, a large collection of books, magazines. I still have an I lost half of it, and they knew I, I read books about that, and I will get the magazines on it on the mail. Yeah, but they knew about my my, my uh, interest on the subject. Yeah, that that reminds me of of my uh, childhood when I was growing up. My my father was in the Coast Guard in the mid uh, to late forties in Puget Sound. I grew up in the uh, Seattle area, and. Uh, I recall him mentioning to us that they had uh, just gotten new radar units and that they had seen these objects flying incredibly fast. They estimated about 10,000 miles an hour. And at one point, they they felt that they were going in and out of Puget Sound up near uh, the top of the San Juan Islands. And I remember that that always had a real impression on me. And I always wanted to see a UFO, but during the whole time I was you know in the home, I, I never got a chance to see one. But... Uh, I find it interesting that Albert's kids uh, have had, uh, you know, inexplicable, uh, especially in the, the case of seeing the humanoid forms in the house, very inexplicable events. Well, right. How did you handle that when they told you that? Uh, what what did you uh, say? Did you give them some advice? Or Well, I told them that immediately tell me about it. I would like to know what they saw. And actually, one of the experiences, the one with the... Uh, the guy wearing the the monk habit 
I, I included in the in my reports because he was so uh, so sincere about it and so worried about it. I told him, look, uh, maybe what you saw is some kind of uh, friendly entity that just wanted to communicate with you, so not to worry about it. But I, I encouraged them to tell me if they or any of their friends uh, are, see or encounter anything. Yeah. Have you had any any cases that have been referred to you by by the uh, your work? Uh, in other words, maybe a report comes in, people know of your interest, or or think, well, maybe we should have Albert uh, check into this. Have you had any cases like that referred to you? Yeah, um, two or three. Uh, I had a case uh, in which a security guard. This isn't back in '89. This is I didn't actually talk to the guy, but I talked to him on the phone later on. The security guard uh, encountered three in a shopping center. This is about three o'clock in the morning, in a shopping center in South Dade on, off, off of US One. Three tall humanoids, uh, thin, long arms with huge cat-like eyes. And he called the police because uh, he thought it was uh, prowlers or suspicious people. In the Cat burglars. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe uh, police responded to the site uh, and uh, they wrote a report. I, I used to have a copy of the police report. I don't know what I did with it. Uh, it's, perhaps I lost it when I lost half of my... Uh, I used to have a, uh, like I said, a huge collection of books and magazines, but... I went through a divorce, and you know, no, I don't want to go into details, but I lost a lot of my material. Yeah, I hate when that happens. <laughs> For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's one 800 728 2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Albert Rosales, humanoid researcher experiencer our co-host christopher o'brien albert we don't have a lot of time and maybe we should look into the end game here for you do you intend to maybe collect this into a book everybody's written a book about ufos i wrote a book once about the hollow earth that i was going to publish myself and something happened and maybe it was my first marriage ending and i never got around to it so is there a book in your future albert i'm hoping there will be i'm hoping to put all my stuff together into a uh some kind of a catalog of cases into a case catalog, but I, I would imagine it will have to be several volumes of a book. 15,000 <laughs> reports, I would hope so. Yeah, that would be an awful big book. Yeah, I know. But I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to put up, put in, uh, type some uh, journals now that I'm working on, and I think a couple of them are going to be published in the magazines. and That new magazine, UFO Matrix, I don't know if you guys heard about 
in the UK. But uh, I'm working on uh, journals, and I'm hoping, yeah, maybe in the future I could write a couple books. Maybe when I retire. Who knows? Keep, keep adding to that database. It sounds like it uh, grows <laughs> monthly. It's pretty, it pretty amazing, some of the stuff reported around the world, boy. Yeah. All right, so maybe you'll collect this stuff. Now, that's an important point, too. What about the existing UFO investigative bodies like MUFON? Do they ever call Albert and say, hey, you know, look into this, or what do you have? Give us more information. <laughs> well, I can tell you that MUFON, they'll, they, always want me, they always want me to be a member. Of course, when I ask them for assistance in collecting cases, they never answer. They have a new president now in the MUFON, a new uh, leader, which I haven't contacted yet. I'll see if, if I have better luck. But I, I've been a member of MUFON on and off, and right now I'm not. Uh, I don't think that uh, the last MUFON president was. Hey, this is the guy, kind of guy that maybe they'll want, they'll contact you. I will contact MUFON for assistance and getting cases. You know, getting more information in some other humanoid cases, I will never get an answer. However, they will contact me and asking me to either become a member or, you know, uh, assist in and uh, with files and uh, join MUFON for a long stint. I I did for two years, but then I I stopped. Now I, there's not that many. Uh, there are, there are a lot of researchers like you, Chris, and, and many others that I could take off in Stan Gordon in Pennsylvania, and Druffle in uh, California. There's there's many, many uh, good researchers out there uh, which are doing a great job. But as far as a, a large UFO uh, groups or organizations, uh, at least in the U.S., uh, I don't, there's, there isn't that many. I know in, in Europe there is. There's more uh, uh, groups, a lot of groups actually in Europe, and there's more uh, what I think interest over there in the, in the matter. Is well, it on the only game in town, pretty much, as far as major UFO investigative bodies? What about the Center for UFO Studies? Is that still even around? They're still around, but I don't think they even publish a journal anymore. They used to. I don't think they're. They uh, do anything anymore, actually. Gene, you know where the largest UFO uh, group uh, in the world is, right? China. China oh, right. has the largest uh, uh, membership roles of any other UFO group. I forget. Uh, it's it's huge. I remember seeing the number once and scratching my head going, wow, this is really quite an emerging. Uh, yeah. um, there's a lot of emerging interest in China in uh, these types of events. and. Which brings me to a question, Albert. Have you? Uh, do you have any contacts with any of the uh, uh, Chinese and Far Eastern groups? Uh, have they funneled you any sort of uh, cases? I know this uh, Michael Cohen uh, guy seems to be coming up with new China stuff all the time. A lot of it is questionable. But uh, I don't know do you what have he any? But I haven't had any contacts from from China. No, I have some contacts like uh, Philippines, Indonesia. Malaysia, Australia, but I, I used to have contact in Japan. I don't know what happened with that, but I know I haven't been able to get any Chinese contacts. But now, I know years ago, years ago, Albert and Chris, I used to be in touch with a number of people in Japan, 
and they spoke English pretty well. Otherwise, I'd be severely crippled in trying to communicate with them. And there were active UFO investigative bodies in Japan. Do we still see that, or have they gone by the wayside like many of the UFO organizations in the U.S.? Yeah, you know that's a good question. I think there's one group. I think it's called UFO Japan. Was this, but I don't think they speak any English because I try to contact them. I send them some of my cases, and I send them a couple emails, but I didn't get any. I never got any response from them. But they do have quite a large website and database, but all in Japanese. And I, I don't know about any others. No. In general, isn't that unfortunate? The fact that we don't have really international UFO bodies, like MUFON, supposedly is international, but it's mostly in the USA and hasn't been as active, maybe in some areas as it should be. What about that? What's the problem that we can't get all these disparate bodies together and try to figure it out together? I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm thinking maybe the different point of point of views everywhere. Uh, they can't agree uh, to. I mean, there's some people that got their, some groups got their agenda, their theories, their pet theories, and they just don't um, accept the other theories or agendas, and they don't, they just can't get together. I don't know. It's unfortunate. It is, and a lot of the researchers don't like to share their information either, which is, I think, is unfortunate. They keep their information, and then when they. Uh, if they stop researching or go away or pass or pass away, and then their research goes to not, it it's lost. Nobody ever hears about it. And I know that happening before to many, to all the like the uh, APRO files and uh, the old APRO group. Jim, and uh, Carol. I, I know, I know where all those files are. I've been trying to get access to them for about six, seven years. Where are uh, they? Okay, APRO was centered them. in Tucson, Arizona, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Jim and Carl Lorenzen were started in the fifties. Covered a lot of cases in South America. A lot of really cutting edge information. A lot of people helping them out. Now I've tell you that Jim Lorenzen was a really gentle guy. I hated Carl Lorenzen. Never got along with her. For some reason, really crusty old lady. I was going to say old, you know what, but I won't. But okay, in <laughs> she the, wore the pants. Well, yeah, whatever. Um, okay, so what happened to these records? Where are they now? You've been trying for years to get a hold of them, Chris. Where are the records being stored? Well, they're in a, a storage facility uh, whose location is a closely guarded secret. There's there's a couple that live here that we worked with. Uh, the Lorenzans uh, towards the end of their life. Uh, both Coral and Jim died fairly uh, close together in time. Um, and when the... I'm, I'm trying to see if I can get the story straight here. So when the Lorenzans died, uh, I think APRO did continue on for a while, but then without you know their motivation and stuff, it, it, it's, it floundered fairly quickly. Uh, this couple uh, was for some reason selected by the board uh, and I think Heineck uh, was involved in this, uh, the selection as well in, in this process. And they they were entrusted with the APRO files, which they have been promising for years to give uh, investigators and researchers access to the information uh, to do uh, checking for, for data. And, and I, as a favor to them, I did a number of uh, video shoots uh, they were fighting a, uh, a subdivision that was uh, being planned here uh, in the Sedona area, and they had a, 
a real legitimate beef with the developer, and so I helped uh, film some environmental quality meetings under the with the understanding that hey uh, quid pro quo I'll, I'll help you guys out if you look up these three cases for me and i i mentioned ted phillips uh czechoslovakian case with the the machine in the mountain ray stanford had a case and i had a case that uh that we really needed to get into those app profiles because we knew that what we were looking for was contained in there. And they promised me and promised me, and they never came through. There are a couple of flakes. Uh, I even said, I'll go do... I'll go in there and look at it. You can blindfold me, take me there. I I, I don't need to know where it is. You can open the door. I can walk in, take the blindfold off, and let me check. And uh, they're just sitting on it. They think that... uh, uh, I, I really don't know why they have, you know, what their rationale is for not allowing researchers to have access to these. There's a gold mine of information in there. You know and what, I think, Chris? You're kind of seeing here, and you're sometimes this germinates into greater ideas, greater good. Maybe we should all come up with a petition to present to these people. Powercast listeners, not just Powercast, any radio show listens to us. Let's put some pressure on them. Let's put the pressure. I mean, really, you know, we have tens and tens and tens of thousands of listeners around the world. We're soon going to be syndicated by a national network available at local radio stations. We have this information. I don't have to know the location. I don't have to know the name of the people. But we should set up. I'm going to assign you Chris O'Brien. You could work with Albert, anybody else to do this let's set up a petition let's make our voices heard to the people who are holding the information all these decades of research by the aerial phenomena research organization ufo sightings around the world close encounters great cases in south america all the work the lorenzans did all the people who work with them did let's find a way to persuade these people to release that information maybe a petition Chris, maybe you can assemble a petition, an online petition. We'll run it. We'll give a link to anybody who wants to run it on their sites, ladies and gentlemen. If you are on a rival radio show, this is not a matter of competition. We want to get this information available to everyone. And I, I can't see any reason for it not happening. So, Chris, you want to take that assignment yeah, publicly on the show? Yeah, that's a great idea, Gene. I'd be happy to do that. And, and uh, thank you for coming up with that idea. I think if we put some pressure... On them, and they'll see. Uh, I don't think they realize how important that particular database is. It's one of the largest ufologically based databases in the world. There are, I think they said, 15 file cabinets, if I remember correctly, of uh, of, of actual case files. And that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of paperwork. This is, of course, back in the old hard copy days. Now, this is probably uh, sitting there in some kind of storage center they pay a monthly fee for, unless it's in their own garage. I have a feeling it's down in the Phoenix area. That would be my guess, is it's down in Phoenix somewhere. Uh, Of course, they are up here in Sedona. And I think, you know, they they get up at noon. uh, They're kind of sort of kind of old hippie types. They're real flaky. They don't like to, you know, they'll fight for their causes and, and... and do the right thing, but then, you know, it's force for the trees when it comes to uh, that absolutely just amazing database that they're sitting on and, and hoarding. I have, I really don't understand how somebody could could do that and make, make promises and then not follow through on paperwork and stuff. It's, it's, it's a good idea, Gene. I would be happy to spearhead it. 
Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I welcome your suggestions, too, if you write to us. News at theparacast.com. News at theparacast.com. And your suggestions, how we might persuade these people nicely. You know, we're not talking about legal action. We're not talking about bringing up Peter Gersten, the New York lawyer who lives in Arizona now, who did a lot of those Freedom of Information actions. We're talking about friendly, nice, a petition, gentle pressure. You know, none of that really wild stuff. Gentle pressure. And eyes with sugar on top. Exactly. Exactly. No venom. No. No venom. Now, maybe some scorpion venom. No, no scorpion venom either. You know, I know you know about that stuff, Chris. So Yeah, they're, they're already kind of num, numbskulls already. I don't think they need any more numbing. Well, we, we can't know. use that word, but you already let it drop. Okay, it doesn't matter. You know, if the information's here in Phoenix, and I'm not far from Phoenix, as we all know, I will go there personally and have a look at it with them, and they could... You know, if they want, even though the Lorenzans hated me, the Lorenzans hated me, so that wouldn't work, would it? No, Chris will come down. We have Antonio Huneus, who lives in the area. We can have a lot of people come over, take a look at this information, help, you know, at least get it into a way that it can be submitted. Maybe somebody can scan the papers. We can put them online. Lots of stuff. And we'll talk about this in future episodes of the PowerCast and see where it stands. Yeah. Okay. Good idea, Gene. Okay, Albert, we have just a couple minutes left. We didn't mean to ignore you. I guess there's a lot of information they have that you would like to get your hands on. But where do you intend to go from here? You don't do the public appearance circuit. You don't do the radio show circuit. What do you expect to continue to do? Well, I, I'm going to continue to do my my uh, database, I'm gonna, my journals, and write to the, whatever magazine wants to publish some of my, my articles. But like, I'm, like you said, I, I'm going to be working on some books also. And you know whoever's willing to uh, to do a radio show with me, I'll, I'm willing to do it. I just haven't been approached so, approached so many times. Well, a couple of times I haven't been able to do it uh, because my work and different issues. But uh, I'll be more than glad to do uh, you know the radio circuit. Uh, and I haven't done it too much, but I've done three or four or five maybe. Ladies and gentlemen, if you click on Albert Rosales' name. At thepowercast.com, you'll be taken right to the database. You can see all the information he's collected about UFO humanoid encounters, and if you have more information, it has his email address there. He doesn't have to mention online or on our show, but his email address is there. You can write to him, give him more information, or maybe get some help in finding out more of the things that are happening. Chris O'Brien, where do we find more of the stuff you're working on? Are you going to do a successor to the Trickster book? Yeah, I am. I'm actually working on a uh, a, a book that looks um, at tricksterism and really brings in the ufological question. Uh, my first book, uh, Stalking the Tricksters, hardly mentioned UFOs at all. Just at the very end, I, I happened to go into it a little bit. But there's uh, there's quite a bit of uh, just a wealth of material that uh, is tricksterish in nature that's found in, in ufology. My website is OurStrangePlanet.com. And there you can find uh, my database, which is available uh, to anyone who wants it. And it's all there. Uh, it's about 13 years of my own investigations. And the, and the actual sighting log goes back to 1777. So there's plenty of stuff in there to keep you busy for a while. Uh, uh, there's quite a, quite a number of reports in there. Not hidden in 15 file cabinets somewhere in Phoenix. It, yeah, hopefully in a air-conditioned space down there. So it's OurStrangePlanet.com. 
Okay, and link from thepowercast.com. Albert Versalis, Chris O'Brien, been a great show. Thank you both for joining us this week on the Powercast. Well, thanks for having Albert on. I'm really glad that he was able to make it and be on the show. Uh, Albert, Thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. Great job. The Paracast is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.